Hello and welcome to another episode of the Philosophy Guy podcast. Brendan here, your host. So today's episode is again a little different. Uh, I'm going to do a philosophy analysis on Ben Shapiro's new book, The Right Side of History. Yes, I uh, I decided to, to read the book for this episode and to kind of let you guys know and kind of help dissect that. But typically I would not pay mind to these, you know, politically charged books because that's not the point of the podcast. Plus this isn't really a political podcast. I don't want to cover such a kind of dividing uh, topic that is politics. But in the case of this book, I I heard about how it attempts to address many philosophical ideas, which it does, and how well Ben's book executes its set out objective is is another story that I, I wanted to analyze, which is why I decided to dig into the book. The other reason I want to cover this book is I do want to cover philosophy topics that are popular in society. That's what's in the scope of my podcast. So what I mean is, you know, Ben Shapiro and, you know, conservative arguments, let's say for God or, or this book, you know, that's discussing like moral systems and moral codes that we should fo- uh, value and follow. You know, I think it's interesting to analyze those arguments and discuss those because it is it is something that cu- the, the culture is carrying about and either let's say you agree with Ben or disagree with Ben you know if you agree with Ben maybe I can provide some points that will help you address those in your discussions with others and if you you know disagree or agree and if you agree with Ben maybe I'm going to you know challenge your viewpoints that type of thing right <laughs> so um, and something society does have its eye on are the ideas around religion faith and reason which is exactly what Ben's book covers kind of like what I said. But uh, before we dive into that quick, if you want to help support the show and get some extra content, you can head over to my Patreon page and get the bonus feed, which I where I do more episodes. I try to do a few of those per month, um, and it helps support the show and help you know basically keep it going and keep the show alive because you know it, it is kind of my free time and a hobby that I'm doing, and and the more support I get, the more I can spend time on the podcast and keep adding bonus content and actual content to the feed. Um, There's also other links below where you can help support the podcast by just subscribing, rating, and reviewing, and uh, also checking out the new merch store. But let's continue with the show. So I plan to start occasionally covering these types of topics and analyze some common arguments giving around, you know, subjects that are popular in society, such as maybe even the ones around religion and faith and reason and those type of things. Basically what the culture is caring about and kind of analyzing it through a philosophical lens. And that's what I try to do with this review of this book. And, you know, I'm looking for your feedback to let me know if I do a good job of that or not. But let's get into Ben Shapiro's The Right Side of History, How Reason and Moral Purpose Made the West Great. So, Ben's proclamation at the start of the book is essentially this. Reason alone, absent of God's moral law, and more precisely, he thinks the absence of Judeo-Christian moral law dooms our world to live in this meaningless abyss and ultimately leads to the doom of society. He also wants to argue that our toxic political climate and divide can essentially be boiled down to society's growing rejection of these Judeo-Christian values. Now, I will admit, I agree that we have a toxic political climate. I'm not getting into the details of that toxic political climate, but I agree with his point about that. Now, I have a hard time 
oversimplifying it down to this some sort of rejection rejection of Judeo-Christian values. We'll see how he does that. But from the start, it's a typical kind of this religious conservative idea, which is fine. Like as long as you you argue for it well, you know, that's up to that's for you to do. Let's see if he does that though. So Ben essentially wants to demonstrate why we need to go back to our Judeo-Christian roots, how the rise of like secular society needs to find those roots again. So in this pursuit, he attempted to demonstrate a problem with subjective morality and how we need to follow the objective morality put forward by Judeo-Christian faith. However, in this attempt, I think he actually ends up refuting his own claim. So he essentially uses the entire book to say, that philosophical thinkers such as David Hume don't believe in objective morality. He claims we don't want that belief. Therefore, Judeo-Christian morality is objective and true. See, this is a big problem I had with the book. See, Ben wants his desires and his desire for what society values and how society views morality to be true. He thinks by simply arguing for his desire that it makes him objectively true and, and adds some sort of extra validity to his argument. And basic argumentation tells you this is far from how reasoning works. Just because you don't want to live in a world without objective reality, or not, sorry, not objective reality, without objective morality, it doesn't make objective morality all of a sudden true. Partially because... You know, he never attempts to address why, though, such as David Hume's claims of subjective nature of reality and like what we can trust and kind of the skepticism that David Hume brought forward, why that's false, which is one of the major problems I have with the book. It's almost as though he knows he's being dishonest with his the audience and the reader, but he knows his reader base won't care so he can get away with these these bad argumentation styles. And I have a problem with that. And I'll get into that as as, as you might know. <laughs> So, like I said, you can actually agree with Ben on objective morality or just objective morality in general. Maybe not Ben's uh, version of objective morality, but it becomes clear this book had no intention of addressing his claims made by many philosophers Ben name drops in the book. And it is sad. So Ben attempts to set up his argument by laying out, you know, the twin foundations of Western society being Judeo-Christian moral law and Greek reasoning that would later transform into scientific reasoning. Thus, he argues, Jerusalem and Athens are who we have to thank for the development of uh, the Western world. He contends that by removing either of these pillars, civilization then collapses into basically nothingness. Um, So here's a quote that essentially sums up his reasoning for his claim. The USSR rejected Judeo-Christian values and Greek natural law, and they starved and slaughtered tens of millions of human beings. The Nazis rejected Judeo-Christian values and Greek natural law, and they shoved children into gas chambers. That's basically his, his the only reasoning he gives for his viewpoints, and, and they're bad reasons. Like it's it's a distortion of history, and we'll get into that. So I'll address this quote in a bit, but right now I think your alarm bell should be going off. This is an intellectually dishonest claim on his part, a very sad and dishonest oversimplification of history to fit his claim. He does this throughout the book, cherry-picking evidence to to keep everything neatly fitting what the reader is looking for. And that's what I got to earlier is like he knew what his base was. Um, And this is another problem with the book. You know, I could not help but have the feeling that he knew exactly about this audience that, that would pick up this book, which is fine. 
Like, I get it. You have to sell books, but it creates a book version of this echo chamber and it does nothing to challenge a person reading the book that agrees with Ben. And it does nothing to, you know, like I said earlier, to change the position. So honestly, this made for a boring read because it leaves you you wanting more. And it left me sad that that he is a good writer. Like, I'll give him that. You know, and it will convince his audience to hold their positions even tighter. So I know, I know. What what was I really expecting going into this? I I agree. I, I shouldn't have been expecting much. But in his explanation, uh, the book ends up being this this kind of brief history of Western philosophy. Uh, this led to him oversimplifying philosophical ideas with historical events. He seems to think, you know, idea X was presented in period Y, which then leads to event Z occurring, thus changing history forever. It's essentially what he wants to claim throughout the book. I feel like he should recognize that history is never so simple. And history is also very much about how it's interpreted at the time period, who's writing about it, what we think about it, you know, what their personal experiences was. We can't have this objective truth found in history. It's just not possible. It's just our limitations of our ability, of our minds, and just our trustworthiness of our reason. But I don't doubt that these ideas played a role, but it's not clear. It's like this, it's not this clear A to B situation that Ben wants to assert. I think other things in history cause, you know, these changing moments that live on to be remembered and in effect change the mindset of humans forever. You know, not something brought down by God. You know, we have no proof of this, that these ideas were brought down by God. How can you prove that is what I'm trying to say. So I will admit I disagree with Ben on a lot, as you might be able to tell already. But however, I, I'll give some credit to him. The book is generally well-researched, and I'm going to have to add a clarifier to that. So maybe it's not exactly true. My problem is you can tell he looked into various ideas, but failed to recognize just how they're, just how they're critiquing his position. It's like they, he was able to read about them in a way, kind of understand them, but yet not connect the dots to how they were attacking his position. And that made it sad for me. And that's kind of the the point I'm trying to give him credit for, I guess. But like I said, it's a stretch to even give him credit for that, honestly. But it's kind, it, it kind of demonstrated to me just how blind uh, we can be to our own tribal positions. And I'm sure I do it too. There's no out, no doubt I do it too. You know, I, I can't come into this book with a completely neutral position because I have my pre presupposed positions already, right? You know, I admit that though. Maybe that is saying something. I don't know. But anyway, so one of the one of Ben's pillars is bringing back uh, the church. To give him some credit, he kind of sort of, not really, tries to use history to explain why the church is good. He doesn't ever really make it clear how or why it's good. I honestly found that he expects the reader to just infer a lot of credit towards the church throughout the book. Uh, credit that is not deserved. Just because the church was in power during the Enlightenment, let's say, during the Enlightenment era, does not mean the church's values gave rise to the innovations and understandings of the universe that that time period brought forward. So, for example, the concept of free speech was brought forward during the Enlightenment. That understanding of free speech. Should we give credit to the church, who the church has a very dark history of being very anti-free speech? Are we just going to give credit to the church just because they were in power? It just seems ridiculous to me. So here's an example um, and, and here's a quote for it. Contrary to popular opinion, new discoveries weren't invariably seen uh, heretical or dangerous to the dominion of the church. In fact, the church often supported scientific investigation. 
Hmm. So this is just not true. The church supported scientific investigation to the extent that it didn't question the church. So let's say a discovery in in medical practice that might be embraced because it helps the whole of society without questioning the validity of the church. But a discovery about Earth's position in the universe being contrary to the church's position of the Earth being the center of the universe, well, you know, if you come forward with that idea, then you risk being exiled or killed. You know, I would not call that being kind to scientific inquiry or free speech in general. It's essentially equivalent to saying the government saying, yeah, go ahead and, and, and write a whatever you want, you know, as long as you are not criticizing anything your government does. So Ben being one to claim he isn't for big government, it's actually sad that he doesn't see the hypocrisy in the point he's making in the book. So let's also look at Copernicus who Ben name drops as someone the church allowed to do his in, in scientific investigation. But this is a cherry, pick, cherry picking on how to tell the story. So Copernicus withheld his findings about the earth not being the center of the universe because he knew his discovery and some of the discoveries in general of his discoveries in general could be life-threatening to him. Thus, he withheld his findings until he died. But this narrative doesn't fit Ben's projection of history where the church is some open-minded entity that that Ben wants to imagine it as. Oh yeah, and the church, um, it, it stuck to its guns regarding the earth being the center of the universe well after the proof of said discovery by Copernicus. Really being open to counter, counter positions, huh? But, you know, like, but as Ben likes to say, facts don't care about your feelings. But, uh, but Ben likes to name drop only scientists of faith to fit his argument too, like Gal- Galileo and Copernicus but failed to mention how scientists at the time had a self-interest in claiming their discoveries to fit the narrative of God or saying they are men of faith. If they didn't, they faced the risk of death or being exiled. Additionally, the Enlightenment brought the rise of, of deism, meaning many great minds cast aside organized religion because of just how many things such as Christian faith or Judeo-Christian values, or, or sorry, Judeo-Christian faith, were found to be wrong and not fitting the Enlightenment era discoveries. That point was conveniently left out. Ben also claimed atheist scholars were essentially non-existent at the time. Duh, like, like I've been saying, it, it, it wasn't exactly a time of free thinking. Being an atheist was equivalent to suicide during that time period in many places. And, and then he also tr- does another name-dropping moment. He also thinks that Descartes would find atheism ridiculous. He provided absolutely zero basis for this assertion. He he didn't even he just put that claim out there. None. He provided nothing for it. Just kind of like this like the premise for his book. The whole book is this empty assertion with a broad overview of the history of western thought and it's a honestly it's a poor overview of western thought just to be honest. But to help further discredit Ben's claim his Judeo-Christian church that, according to Ben, was open-minded, also banned books. Lots of books. Lots of authors. Why? Well, because they dared to provide evidence against the beliefs of the church during the time period. Some that Ben himself name-dropped in the book were banned by the church. You know, Hobbes, Descartes, Spinoza, Locke, Voltaire, Hume, Rousseau, Kant— the list wasn't discontinued until 1966. I think that's also another point that should be that should be mentioned. So, the first half of the book, Ben spends it trying to combine the minds of Greek thought, mainly Aristotle, and then he hits the Enlightenment. Oh boy. 
This is where he bends history to whatever he desires or whatever he wishes were true. So he takes the Renaissance to be this intellectual rebirth. Okay, you know, fair enough, right? But then he starts making these weird distinctions between good versus evil thinkers. How did he divide these thinkers, you might be wondering and asking? Well, the good guys, of course, were those who held up Judeo-Christian morality and belief in God. The bad were those who dared to question it. So the good being John Locke, the Founding Fathers, the Declaration of Independence. I think he mentioned Adam Smith. But honestly, if you're if you're going to mention Adam Smith, you have to recognize that he was good friends with David Hume, who, you know, as, as I mentioned, Ben did, was, was not a fan of. Because Adam questioned many values the church, church and views the church espoused. Yeah, David Hume, who Ben talked about in the book, as though he was the coming of Satan in, in, in thinking format. But let's get back to the Declaration of Independence. See, for Ben, this is a magnificent document in a world-changing victory in favor of Judeo-Christian values and natural rights. But Ben doesn't pay any mind to Thomas Jefferson, the writer of the Declaration of Independence, deism. The fact that its document writer Jefferson was not a fan of organized religion, and Jefferson supported the French Revolution that Ben has such disdain for. And I would also argue that Jefferson took a more consequentialist account for natural rights uh, in that they provide for for Jefferson a solid protections from this intrusive government or maybe more accurately an intrusive organized religion. He formulated the declaration not because he was driven by God, but because his subjective reason found these rights to be important for humanity. But let's let's get to the French Revolution. In Ben's mind, it failed because the French cast aside Judeo Christian values in the name of reason, saying they form this sort of cult reason. Okay, this is a major oversimplification. You need to acknowledge the vacuum of power that revolutions create and claiming it was because they, they brought a more secular mindset towards the building a new government is kind of just disingenuous and not looking at all of the factors that played a role. See, Ben again tries to distort history for another major time period, claiming the Nazis were secular and relied only on reason. This is, again, cherry-picking history. Sure, Hitler was not known to be a man of faith, but he never proclaimed Germany to be this secular nation casting aside the concept of God. In fact, most people in Nazi uniform were outwardly documented members of the church. They had a German saying on their uniform belts that proclaimed, God with us. And here's a quote from Hitler himself. And so I believe today that my conduct is in accordance with the will of the Almighty Creator. And standing guard against the Jew, I am defending the handiwork of the Lord. I don't know about you, but but that does not sound secular. Essentially, Ben is trying to say we cannot derive values from reason alone. But here's the problem with Ben's line of thinking. If we said genocide is wrong because it's obviously wrong, and, and on, like, I get that's an oversimplification and an assertion in itself, but I'm okay with agreeing with that, right? And I think most people listening would be okay with agreeing with that, right? You know, genocide holds with it this, this term that it's unjustified, obviously unjustified murder and slaughter of people. That's obviously wrong. But that's not good enough for Ben. Ben needs something, a higher power to tell him it's wrong. See, believing it can is acting in faith. And that act of faith, according to Ben, somehow confirms the validity of Judeo-Christian moral law, the faith in this higher power. The The thing is, what I just said here provides more substance for his argument than he did in and of himself. This idea of, you know, admitting that you're relying on faith over reason. But 
Let me start by trying to wrap this analysis up. And, and I will say, I think the problem with Ben's book, to some extent, to some extent is the key word here. It's basically a 200, 200-ish page book. And to accomplish what he wanted to accomplish, I think he would need at least 600 pages or, you know, a multi-part book. And he, he would just need more pages, you know, and that's why he had to do these kind of cast aside situations of many ideas and not address them because he had limited page count to to accomplish it. Um, and I get he probably did that because it's a it's a very commercialized book. It's a very mainstream book. I get it's not supposed to be academically heavy. However, if he wants to cover this topic, he at least needed to to do it a little bit better. And, and especially in today's society, I think, you know, the market for these more academic heavy books that, you know, academic topics that are thoroughly researched and thoroughly covered, but, you know, they're a little bit lengthier. I think there's there's a market for that now. And I, and I wish he would have at least attempted it to do it that way instead of just providing this rhetoric propaganda type book but anyway like i said i'll try to wrap this up so problem with ben's claims throughout the book is he assumes judeo-christian values are the foundation of western civilization but where is he getting that my problem is it's, it's just such an empty assertion to pin our values back to judeo-christian values is an abs it's honestly it's absolute nonsense it's basically saying before the point of civilization before like the judeo-christian civilization uh, he's basically saying that everything was nasty, brutish, and short. But society in Western civilization and even Eastern Civ, for the matter, had, had moral codes, even not to steal or murder well before these Judeo-Christian values. You know, even, I would say, at least a thousand years before. Like, we can pen it back. It's written down in history. The Greeks were on this well before the Judeo-Christians. Where was morality before this? What I'm trying to say is it was everywhere, Right. Eastern philosophy was developing these ideas, you know, not killing, stealing, and lying are just basic moral principles that helped humanity communicate and work together, not because God told it to be this way. Plus, I think the fact that animals demonstrate a concept of morality, you know, animals such as chimps, elephants, and wolves, they they demonstrate these basic values of not stealing and killing. And to me, this is an indicator that these weren't thanks to Judeo-Christian values. I, I don't think you know, chimps are reading the Judeo-Christian doctrines that give them these values, right? So why do humans need divine intervention to do this? You know, that's a, that's a fair question. Um, sure, the church played a role in the evolution of history and organizing society. And sure, maybe you can make an argument that the Judeo-Christian values played a large part in creating an upward trend of the lies in humanity. But again, this doesn't mean these values Ben is discussing are now objective truths that all humanity should follow. And you could also just as easily argue that these doctrines were in the right time and place when humanity was making this turn for the better. Um, and, and, and that's the reason they are still being discussed today. Also, Ben boils down Judeo-Christian values to, you know, essentially as this better version of the golden rule, essentially saying the golden rule is a solid principle to follow. He fails to mention in his book, you know, Eastern philosophy, again, was covering, you know, renditions of the same principle. He wanted to act as though Western civilization was the only one making progress towards moral principles, even though, as I've mentioned before, Eastern philosophy was doing it as well. They were making these moral narratives to help humans get along, communicate, and live together well before Judeo-Christian values were were being put forward. Plus, 
Ben wants to avoid the reality of all the influences and interconnectedness that played a role in formulating these these moral viewpoints and moral values. So, to conclude, here's the reality that Ben needs to face. As we continue understanding neuroscience in relation to our ability to reason, how it creates our understanding of morality, and the relation it has to free will, Ben's book becomes a pointless assertion anyway. We need to face the fact that we rely on assertions to go through life. Ultimately, we find many of our assertions based on our reason to become false. This has happened throughout history. The same is true for Ben's assertions about God and Judeo-Christian values. They are false. History provides overwhelming evidence of this. Sure, his Judeo-Christian values were assumptions created as fictions to help us coexist at the time in an organized society. How well they did that, you know, that is something we could debate. But this doesn't make them objective, even if they believe they worked well. These are not fictions from God. Or I guess more accurately, these are fictions. Sorry. (laughs) Rephrase. Take a step back here. These are not fictions from God. But they are created fictions by humanity is what I'm trying to say. And we will continue to create fictions in order to help us coexist and move forward and work together. But we cannot pretend Ben's fictions hold more truth simply because it was in the right time and place and Ben is afraid to live in a reality where his objective moral proclamations don't hold intrinsic truth value in the world we live in. He will never admit it to himself, but it's he that is on the wrong side of history. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this analysis and this review. Please uh, email me, let me know, reach me out, reach out to me on Twitter. And uh, use those links below to help support and uh, continue listening. But like I said, I really appreciate you guys listening. Peace.